Amen. That's right. We are once again in the issue of the intro to apologetics, okay? And if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, you are more than welcome to, Bobby. And that would be page 18 in your workbook. We're going to do a little recap, as usual. And we've already seen this issue of evolution, okay? We already saw the issue that everything has a beginning, chapter 1, which implies a beginner, i.e. God, okay? Chapter 2, we saw everything has a design, i.e. designer, which had to come from God because it's more complex. We'll see it again tonight when it comes to the DNA molecule, okay? Had to come from God, much more complex than anything that mankind can come up with. And then, of course, but everybody throws out the old dagger, so to speak. Well, what about evolution, I mean, haven't you gone to school? Didn't you go to the university? Haven't you listened to those guys with those neato, nifty hairdos? Uh, surely they know what they're talking about. Their IQs are off the chart. I mean, listen to the TV, the media. I mean, what about evolution? Yeah, well, what about it? As we saw, which one are you talking about? First of all, there's six different kinds, and only one of them is true, and it's a mis uh, unfortunate labeling. Just because it says microevolution, which is nothing more than species variation, big dogs, little dogs, white dogs, black dogs, uh, that doesn't mean it proves evolution. And that's what they do. It's a lie. It's a bait and switch. They take the only thing that we do see in existence, a species variation says, well, see, then everything else is true. No, it's not. It is completely bankrupt is what we've been seeing there. And then we saw, of course, so far in our study that uh, the not only problem with that, which evolution are you talking about? They don't even agree amongst themselves and it doesn't work. Uh, number two, they cannot explain where the universe came from. Uh, they cannot explain how non-living things turn into uh, living cells, okay? How many guys were out in the backyard last week and all of a sudden, bleh, out of the dirt came this thing and you had a conversation with it? Now, if that really happened to you, are you serious? That's a sign. You're in Las Vegas, there's a great sun, but you're in the sun too long, Mickey. Get out, get inside, get refreshed, take a cold shower, get the brain cold down, right, John? It's, you're hallucinating. Radiation, that's right, that's, that's cool. We'll get into that a little bit tonight. Maybe that's a positive mutation, I don't think so. But uh, no, dirt doesn't just all of a sudden become something that's uh, animus. crazy, it's ridiculous, okay? But that's what they believe. Then we saw last time the fossil evidence doesn't support uh, Darwinian evolution, okay? How, where's, the, where's the millions and billions of transitions from the uh, bat to the rat? There's none, there's zero, zippo, okay? And yet that's the crux of it. And we find none of that stuff. And then they, they see in the, the fossil record, what does it show? Well, it shows that uh, uh, what they believe in is not true uh, because it's all mixed up. There is no place that the geological column exists on the earth except for in the textbooks with nifty cartoons. And there's human remains mixed up all uh, inside of it, folks. It's not consistent. It's make-believe, okay? And so we're going to see, Lord willing, in our next study, when it comes to the dating issue, they date the fossils by the rocks, but the rocks by the fossils. It's circular reasoning. It's ridiculous. We'll get into that in great detail later, but it's a bunch of baloney, okay? Then we saw the Cambrian explosion. Uh, what they do find in the fossil record is all of a sudden, hey, look, everything's just fully formed right there. <gasps> well, yeah, that's because that's the way God did it. Okay, they can't seem to explain it, but that's the biblical account. And then, of course, we left off with the issue of Darwin's theory of evolution cannot explain irreducible complexity in molecules. In other words, uh, all this complexity we saw 10 weeks in design, that doesn't happen by chance. Okay, if you can't put the Rubik's Cube together one time blindfolded, you're not going to put it together blindfolded 2,150 times in a row blindfolded. That's the odds of that ever happening by chance. It's ridiculous. It's, it's nuts. Now let's continue on. Darwin's theory can't explain the highly complex information in DNA. Is your blank there? DNA, that's right, hooked on acronyms. DNA is your blank there. Information in DNA, all right? But before we get there, let's open your Bibles to Psalm 139. This is going to be kind of like the theme verse as we finish out, Lord willing, this chapter. Psalm 139. For those of you hooked on phonics, how would you pronounce that once again? Psalm, that's right. Psalm 139. That's right. 
Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. Let's take a look at the context there. And it's kind of the theme as, as I was working through this, going, hmm, this sounds like this psalm here. As we take a look here. Psalm 139. When you get there, say moo. Moo. All right, here it is. It says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And you know when I sit and you know when I rise. Is, aren't you guys glad that God knows everything? Isn't it a comforting truth, not just God's existence, but having this personal relationship with him? It's awesome. And this is what he's talking about. This is comforting, okay? And you don't get this if you believe in evolution, right? Listen, okay, you, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with only some of my ways, and the rest of them you're hoping to get an email from the angels to find out. No, <laughs> all my ways, praise God. Okay, before a word, listen to this, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You, you've laid your, your hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I, I can't even contain this. What a comfort to know, God, that you're that intimately involved in every single nook and cranny. Oh, oh, by the way, you don't get that if you believe in evolution, right? You wonder why the world's so depressed and down the, in the tubes, okay? Continues on, he says, in fact, not only that, you're omnipresent. Where, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I came from you, not a cosmic blob. I praise you, God, because I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works are wonderful. I know that what? Full well. Okay? When you take a look at what God is doing in creation, wait till I share what I'm about to share on this DNA issue. My goodness, it's amazing. Wonderfully made. Mind-blowing made. That, that this had to come from God. And the good thing that you can find out when you know that there is a God and that you can have a relationship with Him through Jesus, all the rest of the stuff kicks in. He's with you wherever you go. He's omnipresent. He doesn't leave you hanging high and dry. He's got a great plan through everything. It's awesome. Okay? It's not just a battle of worldviews. Does God exist? Okay, the point is you can have a relationship with him here and now. And he puts all this evidence before us and evolution undermines that, tries to blind the minds of the people uh, from seeing that, okay? But let's take a look there. He says this, life does not consist of matter, just matter, chemicals, but also information, underline that. Because this is the rub, this is the issue. Life does not consist just of matter or chemicals, but also information. A theory of life not only has to explain then the origin of matter, where the dirt come from, but also the origin of information. Information is different than matter. For example, if all the copies of Shakespeare's plays were destroyed, nothing would be permanently lost because the actors who had memorized the roles could easily recreate the text. And, and me personally, this is what's a major comfort in the years of uh, uh, teaching here at Sunrise. I know that if I were to die today and somebody were to destroy all the multitude of copies of my sermons, that you guys have got all my memorized and studies, uh, studies memorized, all my sermons, so that you could just recite them and they'll all come back. Yeah, whatever, preacher's dream. But let's move on. In living systems, <laughs> in living systems, the guidance that is needed to assemble everything comes from what? DNA, okay? Every cell of every plant and animal has to have a DNA molecule. Scientists say that a single strain, this is just a single strain of DNA, holds enough information to fill a 6,000 volume encyclopedia. How many of you guys say this a lot? 
6,000, not page, 6,000 volume encyclopedia. Okay, 6,000 volume of encyclopedia. Now, listen, here's the whole issue. It's not just words. It's not just random words. Just somebody's going like this on the typewriter. Whew. Okay, there's one volume. Okay, right. Oh, how many got more to go, Joey? Whatever. Okay, is that how you guys type, by the way? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, what, no, this is intelligent information. This is information. It's not just, there's nothing random. It's information. So it's, it's information on a massive scale. Information, just a single strand, 6,000 volumes, right? That's just a single strand. There is, in fact, no entity in the known universe that stores and processes more information more efficiently than the DNA molecule, okay? And again, this is the whole point, information. You have to explain not only where did matter come from, where did the information come from? It's intelligent information, okay? There's nothing random about it at all. What good if you had a, would it do you if you did have a 6,000 volume set encyclopedia, but it was completely nonsense? What good would that do? Okay, it wouldn't, okay? But that's what evolution would have you and I believe. It is absolutely mind-blowing. So let me get into this DNA issue and this information. It's, it's mind-blowing. Check this out. He says this. He says, let's say a college biochemistry textbook is equivalent to the amount of information in a single-celled organism. According to the evolutionary theory, we have to copy this textbook over and over, occasionally introducing a few errors, okay, such as a deleting, inserting, or duplicating random letters, words, or paragraph. Okay? What would that do to the textbook? Here you have a perfectly good textbook. It makes sense. It's full of good information. But according to evolution, for all this to happen, it was a completely random event. You have to have mutations. You, gotta have, you have to take things away. You've got to add things. But it's all random. It's not, nothing's intelligent. There's no purpose, whatever. There's no design, according to them. It's just so you start randomly, start taking stuff out of that uh, chemistry textbook. Or, and, or, at random, you start throwing extra letters, extra things that are completely nonsensical. And you keep it up, and you keep adding that and taking away from the textbook. What's going to happen to the textbook? The information in that textbook. Nonsense. It destroy it, right? And that's what he says there. He says, this would absolutely degrade it and lead to its ultimate demise. And yet, that is what evolutionists rely on in order for evolutionists to proceed, right? It's ridiculous. He said, here's the catch, though. Even if there was occasionally uh, a random error that somehow seemed to improve a small piece of information, let's say you had the word uh, cat in there, in that textbook, and you just happened to randomly, uh, a letter popped out, and it was S, and it landed, just happened to land at the very end, so you had cats. <gasps> oh, well, there, this works. This process is wonderful. He says, no. He says, even if you could somehow improve a small piece of information, there's actually a lot more damage being done at the same time by the same change when it comes to the DNA. He says, consider this example, okay? And he gives this phrase, okay? And it, he says this. He says, uh, was it a rat I saw? Was it a rat I saw? Okay, and so that's the question. He says, so consider that phrase. Okay, what's interesting about this phrase is that it reads the same thing forward as it does backwards by letter, right? So you go, was it a rat I saw, right? So here's a phrase that reads the same thing forwards and backwards. You can see there. He says, now here's what's something we've discovered about this uh, DNA. Much of the DNA can be read forwards, but it can also be read backwards. Interesting. And it gets even more complex than that. He says, uh, but there's an additional distinct message when it's read in reverse. Right? So it's a completely different message. But it's completely intelligent. It makes sense. Try doing that. 
This is the exact same thing going forwards and backwards, and you had to get pretty creative to pull that off. Oh, by the way, it took intelligence to do that. Really? Really? John, give her a high five, a hug, do something, man. That was really awesome. That was awesome. I, I thought I was being really cool on Sunday when I was thinking of this big, giant one. Mom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I feel excited tonight. Uh, but anyway, so he says this, okay? It's, it's forward and it's backwards. But the ones even going backwards is a completely different message. Not even the same one, okay? Listen to this. He said, and it's not just the same information repeated. It's an additional set of instructions. Forwards and backwards. Amazing. And he says, and we're not talking about a short phrase such as in that example. We're talking entire chapters within our DNA. Forwards is one set of instructions. Backwards is another set of instructions. That's an amazing intelligence, right? So here's the issue. Even if he could somehow manage to somehow introduce a random error that slightly improved the message going from left to right, okay, you would be messing up the other one going from right to left. You can't tamper with it, right? The moment you try to introduce anything into it, randomly, you mess it up. Not only most likely forward, but you're going to mess it up backwards. You can't tamper with it. It gets even more complex. In addition to this challenge, there's a whole slew of other factors that make the typical evolutionary scenario implausible. Imagine the following two phrases overlapping. I like chocolate and later that evening. Since the first phrase ends in late and the second phrase starts with those letters, they would overlap as follows. I like chocolater that evening. Okay? Now, when you join together this way, uh, the two sensible phrases become nonsensible. What's a chocolater? Okay? However, if the reader knew that this strange phrase actually contained two separate messages and knew where to start and stop when deciphering each one, then they could properly extract the original information, right? If you knew how to decode it, right? Now, imagine making a random change to that nonsensical uh, phrase, right? Uh, I like chocolate or that evening, okay? And you're hoping to improve the information. If you make the change somewhere in the overlapping section, even if you accidentally did manage to somehow make a slight improvement in one of the phrases, it is virtually certain that it will be messing up the second message. Right? He says, now why am I sharing this overlapping thing? He says, listen, because scientists have discovered that the messages in our DNA also overlap. They don't just have a set of instructions going this way and a whole new set of instructions going this way. Phenomenal. But they overlap. Okay? And this is what he says. He says they overlap. And we're not simply talking about an overlap of a few letters. It's more like entire chapters. And he says, are you starting to get a feel for how much of a challenge genetics poses to the story of evolution? And I like what he said this. He says, at this point, I got a confession to make. He said, my faith is not strong enough to believe that that all happened by accident. Uh, it takes uh, faith to believe in evolution, a lot of faith, almost an infinite amount of faith when you look at the evidence. Absolutely. But you're not supposed to have faith in school, so how do they get along with that? That's interesting. But you're not supposed to know that, Tom. Now he goes into a couple illustrations, this 24. He says, now suppose you're in a cave and you believe that you were the first person ever to be in this part of the cave. Uh, as you were trudging through the cave, you discovered ancient pictographs painted all over the wall. Would you still believe that you were the first human in the cave? No, because there's information in there, intelligent information. Somebody had to produce that intelligent information, right? He goes on to another one. When archaeologists discovered the Rosetta Stone, they didn't think its inscriptions were the product of random chance or self-organizational processes, right? 
hey, look at this. What wind and rain and rocks and, and mud and sticks just had me etching out this information. That would be ridiculous to think that, right? And that's what he says. He said, obviously, the sequential arrangements of the symbols was conveying information. And it was a reasonable assumption that intelligence created it, i.e., somebody with intelligence created this intelligent information on the Rosetta Stone, which helped crack the codes with the different uh, information there, uh, languages. Now, he says, so whenever we see written information, even in the DNA, because that's what it is, and man is that complex, he says, we assume that there's intelligence behind it, right? I didn't have my chance. It's crazy. It's ludicrous. Okay, every experience we have about information, whether it's a computer code, a hieroglyphic inscription, a book, or a cave painting, points towards intelligence. The same is true about the information inside every cell and every living creature. The logical conclusion is, hey, somebody had to do this. This isn't just matter. It's not just a cell. It's a cell containing information. Do you see the difference now? We've dealt with the issue of matter, where did matter come from, and the odds of that happening, and it ain't ever going to happen. But it's not just matter, it's there's intelligent information contained in everything, even down to the DNA level. There's no explanation for that. It can't happen randomly, it can't happen by chance, is what he's saying. That which is encoded in the DNA is purely and simply written information. Who wrote the information-rich DNA code? Hey, correct, all right. There you go, buddy, consolation prize. You get a piece of gum, give it up for Joe, you got the right answer. Yeah, what a guy. I tell you what, he's incredible tonight. But anyway, that's right. God, hello. Okay, why? Because what do we just read in our psalm? What's the theme? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, man, when I look at what you did, God, wow, you created, you created me with this DNA, and I'm going this way. They overlap, and there's all this stuff. And it's like, wow, wow. And if you've got a plan for that, and you've got intelligence going forwards and backwards, and even though I think my life sometimes going forwards and backwards, you've got an intelligent plan through it all. You know, I'm with you wherever you go. You're with me. And it's awesome. Wow. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Continue on. He says this. Consider the difficulty of generating just two lines of Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, by randomly dropping Scrabble letters on a tabletop. How long do you think it would take just to generate two lines? You couldn't. That's just two lines. Okay. He says, then consider that the specific genetic instructions required to build a protein in even the simplest one-celled organism would fill hundreds of pages of printed text. We couldn't randomly even do two sentences off of Shakespeare's Hamlet. What in the world makes you think that we're going to do hundreds of pages? Just throwing letters on the floor. It's ridiculous, and they know it. If nature is so clever, he says, it can exploit mechanisms that, what? Amaze us. In other words, we can't do it with their ingenuity. Is it not uh, persuasive? Is it not that persuasive evidence for the existence of intelligent design behind the physical universe? If the world's finest minds can unravel only with difficulty the deeper workings of nature, how could it be supposed that those workings are merely a mindless accident, a product of blind chance? Yeah, how could you do that? Okay. If physics is a product of what? Design. Who came up with physics? Some guy, eventually, right? You know, my theory is, you know, he must have got mad at his parents and he wanted to get back at the rest of the world. So he went back in his room and started to develop it. Yeah, for all those of you who like math, you didn't like that joke. But anyway, that's what? Yeah, you know, anyway, so, but somebody had to come up with that, right? All right, so that's his point that he says there. He says, if physics is a product of design, the universe, which is all over the place with design, must have a purpose, and the evidence of modern physics suggests strongly to me that the purpose includes us. Can I translate that for you? Wow, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Isn't that amazing? Well, it's almost like the Bible knows what God's talking about. Uh, Stephen Meyer, he explains the importance of this information issue. He said the issue uh, has caused all naturalistic accounts of the origin of life to break down, okay? Because it's the critical and foundational question. If you can't explain not just where matter came from, and they can't, we've already seen that, but if you can't explain where the information came from, how in the world did the DNA get intelligent information going forwards and backwards at the same time and overlaps and whole chapters and... The, what? If you can't explain that, you haven't explained life because it's the information that makes the molecules into something that actually functions, right? How many, glad, how many guys glad that your molecules right now are actually functioning intelligently and aren't just going like this inside of you? Because if they were, you know what you'd be doing? You'd be doing the same thing, right? <laughs> and that would be weird. Let's move on. Uh, Lee Strobel, he sums it up this way. He says, all right, so what do we make of the fact that DNA stores far more information in a, listen, smaller space than the most advanced supercomputer on the planet? Oh, by the way, who would come up with that? Who, who designed that? Who made that advanced supercomputer on the planet? Uh, somebody had used intelligence. Some engineer, right? Okay. So this is much more complex, much smaller, okay? He says, what else can generate information but intelligence? What else can account for the rapid appearance of a staggering variety of fully formed complex creatures that have absolutely no transitional intermediates in the fossil record? The conclusion was compelling. An intelligent entity has quite literally spelled out his evidence, evidence of his existence through the four chemical letters in the genetic code. It's almost, listen, as if the creator autographed every cell. It's almost like God was trying to get a message to us, even if we never came across Psalm 139, hey, guess what? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you can have a relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. How about that? Right? And again, at Romans chapter 1, we've seen this several times. It starts off the wrath of God being revealed against heaven, from under heaven. Right? Why? Because what's the context? You guys knew that there was a God, but you deliberately suppressed the evidence. God has all this. I mean, come on. This one thing, as soon as we found out and discovered this on DNA, should have put an end to this baloney. God has given us so much evidence, as we saw from the telescope to the microscope, the DNA. It just keeps stacking up. And as fast as we put it out there, evolutionists try to spin it away, lock it away, hide it away, or won't even let you get it out. You don't think that God's a little upset about that? It's called storing up his wrath, okay? Let's look at the top of page 25. Darwin's theory can, uh, uh, can explain why we uh, do not routinely observe beneficial mutation. It's your next one, mutation in living creatures. Now, you see mutations, but the key issue here is beneficial, and that's one of the cruxes of evolution. It has to uh, be something positive. Genetic mutation does not introduce... Um, new levels of complexity, and it cannot be shown that it is a step in the right direction. Most observed mutations are what? Harmful, all right? For instance, if you guys on the way here, you got struck by lightning, would you come in here and go, wow, I've evolved. I feel awesome, right? <laughs> Probably we'd be praying for you later here in a few minutes at the prayer request time and announcing which hospital you're in, if you're still alive, okay? Uh, but again, what, the lightning bolt hits the primordial ooze. Pow! Supposed to do something beneficial? Don't think so. Okay. And there is no experimental evidence to show that a new animal uh, organism or even a novel structural feature has ever been produced from the raw material produced by a mutation. Nothing. 
Zero. All right, so go back to your thing. When you got hit by a lightning bolt, all of a sudden you turned into a catfish. Wasn't that awesome? That's amazing how just something like a, a random event uh, 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 with a lightning bolt and it mutated the cells in your body and you turned into a catfish. Isn't that awesome? No. But that's what they believe. Paul, uh, uh, Pierre Paul Grass of the French Academy of Sciences says, no matter how numerous they may be, mutations do not produce any kind of evolution. Then why do you still have in textbooks today? As proof for evolution. I'm going to give you some examples in a little bit and then Lord willing, a couple studies down the road, we're going to kick this one really hard. Uh, this is a bunch of baloney. This is one of those mechanisms that they say, oh, we know evolution happened because of mutations. No, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything beneficial. It hurts. It destroys. It harms. It does not improve an organism, let alone turn it into a whole new kind of organism. It's crazy. Geneticist John F. McDonald, he called this a great Darwinian paradox, the kind of mutations that macroevolution needs. Now, that's this one right here, macro. That's going from a different kind into another different kind. It's not species variation, microevolution. That's the only thing that we see. You can see a dog getting bigger or smaller, different colors. No problem with that. The Bible talks about that. But we don't see Joey turning into a catfish. And how many guys would say, praise God, that would kind of scare you again tonight. Right, you know what I'm saying? Although you're, you're starting to get a little whiskers going there. Maybe it's a slow process. You've got to get struck by lightning. Smunt. Many more, whatever. So you don't see this. This is macroevolution, okay? That's what they say. Mutations are going to make you into another kind. You're going to start off as a catfish, but it's going to turn you eventually uh, through a bunch of mutations into a whale and then back into a corn plant. And then maybe you're going to decide one day to get out of the water altogether and become a bear. Hey, wait till we get to that. I kid you not. Evolutionists don't even agree on that, okay? Some would say that the, the whale uh, or dolphin that uh, actually uh, decided to come out on lamb and that's where we have uh, the bear. And then evolution at the same time will say, no, it was the other way around. Bears decide to go back in the water, and that's what produced the whales and the dolphins. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, I'm not making it up. We'll get to that eventually, Lord willing. Okay? But let's continue on. He says this, they, that they do not produce the kind of mutations that macroevolution needs, namely large-scale beneficial ones. They don't occur. While the kind it doesn't need, large-scale mutation, mutation with harmful effects, or small-scale mutations with limited impact, in other words, they don't do anything, those do occur, okay? Well, even that, so, is infrequently, though, okay? You, it doesn't produce what you say it does. And that's one of your big mechanisms as, oh, we know, this is how evolution takes place. Let me give you a couple examples, okay, about mutations. Let's take a look at this. Let's apply random accidents, because that's what a mutation is supposed to be. This is just some random accident that happened to some creature, and somehow that's going to make the creature better, evolve into something better, Let's apply that logic, all right? For instance, if I poked a stick into somebody's bike spokes that, as they were riding by, okay, would that make their bike ride more beneficial and enjoyable? What would happen to them? Road pizza, right, is what would happen, okay? Now, oh, here's one. Uh, if, uh, if you, no, uh, oh, I got this one. John, you invited me over to the Super Bowl this year. Okay, the Lions made it to the Super Bowl. Hey, I'm here. Hey. Man of faith, right? Now, now you're perking up, right? You invite me over. They finally make it to the Super Bowl, right? They get over there. I, I come to your house, right? I finally show up. They're just getting ready, okay? And it's the fourth quarter, right? And uh, the, the game's tied, but they're like at the 20-yard line. All they got to do is kick the field goal, right? Just as they're about ready to kick it, and the, the time's going to run out as soon as they kick it, uh, I decide to randomly, I decide to instantly rewire the inside of your TV set. Uh, would I be the hit of the Super Bowl party? 
No, what would John do to me? He'd be hitting me, right? right? You don't randomly decide to start road pizza. Okay, that's right. Okay, that's not going to help the TV if you randomly do that. Okay, let me give you another one, and we'll move on. Uh, how about, uh, how many of you, when you got into an, a random car accident, unexpected, just happened, you discovered that afterwards, hey, the car works better than before. This is awesome. Back it up, do it again. Hey, if I do this uh, for a million years, it'll turn into a Ferrari. No. Random chance events that cause damage, mutations, doesn't help stuff. It harms, it destroys. And yet they want us to believe that's how evolution takes place. It's ridiculous. Again, the only proof they have is in the textbooks, and what they have in the textbooks are lies. Let me give you two other serious examples. Chernobyl, okay? And again, they would say, well, maybe it was radiation, or maybe it was something like this, but the, the things that will cause genuine uh, mutations. Well, let's take a look at Chernobyl. Uh, surely after Chernobyl, this should have been an evolutionary paradise, right? Because that is going to produce and has produced a massive amount of mutations. And everything, people, animals, well, let's take a look at that. Chernobyl caused 800,000 children to seek uh, instant medical treatment. The price of the cleanup and the value of lost farmland and production was $358 billion. Each passing year brings more and more birth defects among farm animals, colts with eight limbs, <clears throat> animals with deformed lower jaws, disjointed spinal columns, no eyes, deformed skulls, and distorted mouths, stillbirths, and infant deaths among the animals. That's just the animals. What about the people? There's been a dra dramatic rise in thyroid disease, anemia, cancer, and astounding drop in the immunity level of the entire population. And through it all, listen, that should have been your perfect example, through it all, no new species have come into existence. Wow, yeah. Only the same ones that have always been there, but guess what? Now they're damaged and they're dying, or they're dead. That mutation didn't help one thing, right? Let me give you another one, the atomic bomb. Okay, and when it was dropped on Hiroshima, right? You're adding a lot of energy. You're going to create some serious mutation with that. So surely that should have been, after all these years, you know, 1945, we, we should have plenty of evidence, right, by now that some new species arrived on the planet. No, okay? The Hiroshima bomb set up a blast with the force of 13,000 tons of TNT, destroyed more than four and a half square miles of the city with over 92,000 persons dead or missing. And uh, what of the living who had radiation poured all over their bodies? Did they benefit from it? No, they were worse off than the dead. They struggled with radiation-damaged bodies through the remainder of their shortened lives, and not one of them, listen, not one of them evolved into a different species or a new super race. Yeah. Therefore, since mutations don't help an organism but damage it, mutilate it, or kill the organism, there's no way you could say mutations cause evolution to take place from one kind to the next kind. It's ridiculous, okay? One guy, this, C.H. Waddington in Science Today, he said, this is really, listen to this, this is really the theory that, quote, strikes me as a lunatic sort of logic, and I think we should be able to do better. Yeah? How about read the Bible? Right? You do a whole lot better. And listen to this. I like what this guy, he said this. Talk about mutations. He says, how ironic it is that the byproduct of the fall of man, sin, which is why we have suffering and disease, is now touted by the evolutionists as a good thing. Right? Isn't that what they're saying with mutations? That's good, because that's what produces evolution. No, it doesn't. But here you take something that's a byproduct of the fall of man, and now you're saying it's good. It's ridiculous how, how twisted it is. Conclusion, let's take a look there. 
More and more biologists, biochemists, astronomers, geologists, paleontologists, geneticists, mathematicians, and other researchers, not just Christian, have raised serious objections to the Darwinian evolution theory in recent years. Quote, if Darwinists are to keep the creator out of the picture, they have to provide a naturalistic explanation for the origin of life. Listen, they haven't been able to do it. Then why do you still teach it? Why is it on TV? Why is it in the universities? Well, what do we see a multitude of times? The Bible told us the answer. Why? Because they're willingly ignorant. They're turning away on purpose, okay, acting ignorant from the facts because they don't want there to be a God because they want to follow their ungodly desires. That's why. It's completely bankrupt, but they're pushing it. And again, I, people say, well, why do you always want to teach on evolution? Why is that such important? Why do we need... Because listen, this is why our society's going down the tubes. Do you understand the rise of wickedness is the sign we're in the last days? We know that from a Bible prophecy point of view, but do you understand why it's going down the tubes? Because ever since the introduction of evolution and ripping out the Judeo-Christian ethic that there is a God in whom you are going to be accountable to for your behavior, there is a heaven, there is a hell, ever since then, everybody's been acting like it. You teach kids from we high there is no God, you raise a generation who acts ungodly and who doesn't respect life and think there is no reason for life and that they don't have to stand accountable to anybody in this life or the next for what they do. What you believe determines how you behave. This, the teaching of evolution actually molds into, with Bible prophecy, it's produced that rise of wickedness of a society that we see today. Okay? James, uh, Dr. James Tour, one of the world's leading uh, nanoscientists, he's a professor at Rice University, Department of Chemistry, and Center for Nanoscale Science and Technology. He's earned a, a doctorate in organic chemistry from Purdue University. He's done his postdoctoral work at Stanford University and the University of Wisconsin. He's written over 140 technical research articles. He holds more than 17 U.S. patents. How many guys would say, this guy's going to whoop you any day of the week blindfolded playing chess? <laughs> Most likely. So anyway, he's got some credentials. Listen to what he says. Okay? And again, remember, when you and I bring up the Christian point of view... How often is it uh, 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 presented back to us this way? Oh, you foolish little people. You just don't have giant degrees like us. And your IQ is just way down here. And you, little, you little kids, you, right? We smart, you dumb dumb, right? And that's why, that's why he brings us out. This guy, come on, give me a break. This guy's got some serious IQ. What's he say, right? You just have to have a low IQ to believe this? No, you're just dealing with the facts. He says it's only a rookie. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say that science takes away from faith. If you really study science, listen, it will bring you closer to what? God. Why? Because that's what God said it would do. When you look at the evidence of his existence through what he's made, the creation, you're going to come to, somebody had to do this. There's no stinking way that somebody, we can't even do this ourselves in a computer, which are not random acts of uh, chance events, Somebody designed it. You can't design this code forwards. One way it means a message. Backward it means a whole other message. And it overlaps and has another message in that. There's no stinking way. Okay? And that's what he says. He says, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. You know what he just said? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. Psalm 139. Top of the next page as we close out. Uh, the world-renowned paleontologist Colin Patterson, senior paleontologist of the British Museum of Natural History, the author of the book, Evolution, in 1981. This is how long ago that the cat was out of the bag, folks. In front of an entire audience of his evolutionary colleagues, at least he admitted it. Listen to what he said. He said, last year I had a sudden realization. 
For over 20 years, I had thought I was working on evolution in some way. One morning, I woke up, and something had happened in the night. And it struck me that I had been working on this stuff for 20 years, and there was not one thing I knew about it. That's quite a shock to learn that one could be misled for so long. So for the last few weeks, I've shared putting a simple question to various people. Can you tell me anything you know about evolution? Any one thing that is true? He says, in their own camp, all I got was silence. The absence of answers seems to suggest that evolution, listen, does not convey knowledge, or if so, I haven't heard of it yet. He says, I think many people in this room would acknowledge that during the last few years, if you had thought about it at all, you have experienced a shift from evolution as knowledge to evolution as faith. It's going to lead you to the existence of God when you deal with the facts. He said, I know it's true of me, and I think that's true of a good many of you here. Evolution not only conveys what? No knowledge. Now, who's turning whose brain in at the door? This is in their own camp. He said it contains no knowledge. You just got to believe this. It ain't based on facts. But somehow seems to convey anti-knowledge. In other words, if you're going to run with this, you have to be willingly ignorant. You have to make a choice. Hmm, I'm going to turn away from the evidence, and I'm just going to push this. That's from their own camp. We're going to close with this parable. I wanted to at least get this in there. Page 27, and we'll close. It's called God's Existence. This is kind of cool. Parable of the mice. It says this, Once upon a time, there was a family of mice who had lived all their lives in a large piano. Every day in their piano world, they heard the beautiful music of the instrument, filling all the dark spaces with pleasant sound and harmony. And at first, the mice were impressed by it. They drew comfort and wonder from the thought that there was someone who had made the music, invisible to them, yet close to them. They loved to think of the great player whom they could not see. Well, one day, a daring young mouse named Charlie uh, climbed up uh, part of the piano and returned uh, very thoughtful. He had discovered how music was made. In fact, Charlie was a little disturbed by what he had discovered. Wires were the secret. Tightly stretched wires of graduated links which trembled and vibrated. He carefully and thoughtfully wrote a book about his discovery and called it The Origin of Music. At first, Charlie's theory was met with resistance, but eventually, it became the predominant view of where music was coming from. The mice had to revise all their old and outdated beliefs. Uh, none but the most conservative mice could any longer believe in the mysterious unseen player. The really cool mice designed Charlie stickers and wore them with pride to show the rest of the mice that they were not narrow-minded. Later, other explorers continued uh, the explanation further. Hammers were now the secret. Numbers of hammers dancing and leaping on the wires. This was a more complicated theory, but it all went to show that they lived in a world purely mechanical and mathematical world. The unseen player came to be thought of as a myth, all the while the pianist continued to play silly mice. Silly evolutionists. Why do you persist? Just because you can explain how something works doesn't mean you explain where it came from. We're masters at, oh, here's how the heart works. Here's how the heart works and the different valves and the functions and how it does that. You know, here's the function of the liver and how it works in conjunction with the rest of the body. And the pancreas and that's that. Here's lungs. You got two of them. We even know how they work. We can see how they work. We can see how it benefits with the brain and how it even works with the brain, how the brain sends out all the signals and intelligent information. We, we can describe it to a T now. We can even get down to the DNA level and we can, we can describe it, how it's made up and all the parts and things of that nature. We can even come out with the information going, hey, wow, it even contains information forwards and backwards. Just because you described it doesn't mean you explain where did the matter come from and where did the information come from. Because it couldn't happen by chance. Silly mice. 
Lord willing, next chapter, which is probably going to be a while, because uh, we we're going to jump back out and deal with the issue of a, a young creation. And also, I want to take a look at these mechanisms of evolution. Do they really work? No, they don't. And it's not just mutations. They're the, the live embryology. Wait till you hear that one. That was proven wrong, I heard, what, 30 years ago? Liars. I even went to court over it, and they're still putting it in textbooks today. Lie, 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 lie. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Natural selection, that whole nine yards. And so I want to kick that. But then, Lord, when we get back into this uh, study, we're going to take a look at the next chapter, and we're going to deal with the issue of basically relativism. Okay, and that is the belief that uh, you basically make up the laws uh, as you go, that there is no right and wrong. There are no absolutes, which as we saw before is ridiculous because the moment you say there are no absolutes, what did you just make? Absolute statement. That's how ridiculous it is. But Lord willing, start at 15,322 after our other studies. We'll get into that, but let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you, one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal, okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars, okay? Well, we've all done that, and it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy, and that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents 
that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work 
on the cross to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.